Okay. Heavenly Father, give us ears to hear and hearts to obey. Guide my words and open our eyes to your truth. Speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. Good morning. I'm, I'm Peter Smith, a member here at Faith Covenant. As you've heard, Pastor Nate is running the Chicago Marathon today. So I have the privilege of bringing you the message. We're in, in the middle of a sermon series, Unlocking the Parables. We're walking through the parables of Jesus. And this week, we are meditating on Luke 10, 25 to 37, which you just heard read, commonly known as the parable of the Good Samaritan. Today's parable grapples with the very essence of our identity. What does it mean to be a Christ follower? What does it mean to love God? It's a familiar parable, but let's take a fresh look at it. Luke 10, verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. The text refers to him as a lawyer, which in those days was the same thing as an expert in the law or a religious leader. He had been schooled in the scriptures and was probably looking to see how carefully Jesus' teaching aligned with the Old Testament and the teaching of the religious leaders. Jesus had recently been overheard saying things like, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What type of teaching is this? Sounds a little crazy, so let's go check it out. So, verse 25, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It's a fair question. Isn't that the question the world wants to ask? We all want to know, what must we do to inherit eternal life? Jesus was asked this at other times. One example is Luke 18, 18, where a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Notice the focus, the subject of the question. What must I do? The question assumes the burden is on us, that it is our efforts that will get us eternal life. So we ask, the expert of the law asks, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And how does Jesus respond? Like so often when dealing with the Pharisees, he parries with a question in return. What is written in the law? He, Jesus replied, how do you read it? I'm going to come back to this question later, but for now, let's follow the answer the lawyer gave. He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. The lawyer here is pulling from Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. This was part of the Hebrew Shema prayer that they would pray twice a day. Some still do. To this great text, the lawyer adds the Leviticus 19.18. Now, Leviticus can be hard reading. We have jokes about Bible reading plans that get bogged down in passages in Leviticus. 
But I'd like to give you a sense of the passage this quotation comes from anyway. We are jumping into a section of various laws regarding how we should treat one another, how to treat our neighbor. So follow me halfway in that chapter to Leviticus 19, 13 to 18. Do not defraud or rob your neighbor. Do not hold back the wages of a hired worker overnight. Do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind, but fear your God. I am the Lord. Do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. Do not go about spreading slander among your people. Do not do anything that endangers your neighbor's life. I am the Lord. Do not hate your fellow Israelite in your heart. Rebuke your neighbor frankly so you will not share in their guilt. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Notice how even in this section, the prior commands can all be summed up in that one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Putting the love of God and the love of your fellow man together captures the essence of the law. To love God, you must also love your neighbor. This was not a novel concept, even back then. The summation of the law, combining the love of God and the love of a neighbor, is brought together in other gospel dialogues with Jesus, and even shows up in other Jewish texts. These very passages may have been part of other debates of how to sum up the scripture. This might not have been the first time the lawyer has heard or even used them in a debate. But back to our Luke passage, picking up at Luke 10, 28, Jesus was satisfied with the lawyer's answer. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. With this, Jesus uses the lawyer's own answer to answer his original question. Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Love the Lord your God, and love your neighbor as yourself. Do this, and you will live. The exchange could have ended here, but this wasn't enough for the lawyer. He responds with another question, verse 29, but he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Notice the lawyer's focus hasn't changed. He started asking, what must I do? And now he still has that same goal, to justify himself. But like all of us, he wants to be efficient. He wants to determine just exactly how much is required. Sure, we might have to love our neighbor, but how much is really expected of, of us? Just who is my neighbor? The goal here is to figure out exactly how much and no more he must do. Aren't we all like that? Teachers, and we have a number in here, how often do students ask you, what do I need to do to get an A? Which is code for, what is the minimum I need to do while still coming in above average? At school, at work, at home, don't we often look for the option that takes the least effort, the least amount of work? In business man management jargon, we call it efficiency. The question is not too far off Jewish thought back then. They had other texts that talked about how to do right beyond the Torah, the law given as by Moses. An example saying from those texts reads, give to the devout 
but do not help the sinner. Do good to the humble, but do not give to the ungodly. The lawyer's goal here is to set a standard, to draw a line, to determine who was in and who was out. Sure, he had to love his neighbor, but let's define that more carefully. How much love would be required? What are the limits of our love? Who is my neighbor? Jesus' response is a parable, but I want to point out something we are tempted to gloss over here. The parable does not answer the original question. I think it is tempting to misinterpret the parable by allowing the question that precedes it to color our understanding of the parable. Jesus, like other times in the gospel, actually moves past the question the lawyer asks to the issue of the lawyer's heart. The question was the wrong question. Jesus' parable doesn't answer the question as much as it turns it upside down. Let's try to listen with ears of those first-time listeners. So who is my neighbor? Pay attention to where the spotlight is, the focus. Verse 30. In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. The audience would have known this journey. Jericho was a common destination for many traveling from Jerusalem. It was a 17-mile trip, which is just a bit shorter than the 26-mile marathon Pastor Nate is running. The road dropped approximately 200 feet per mile, from 2,700 feet above sea level where Jerusalem was to 800 feet below sea level where Jericho was. It was a treacherous road, a barren landscape of hills and rocks with many places for robbers to hide. Most travelers would go in groups for protection. The audience can immediately picture the scene. The road from Jerusalem to Jericho. Oh yes, we know that one. The robbers, the victim, all too familiar and possible a tale. Interestingly, the man is left naked. There is no way to classify him. He can be rich or poor, noble or commoner, foreign or native. Social status, cultural group, is hidden by the stark need. The man is naked, stripped and half dead at the side of the road. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. I know some want to focus here on the Jewish rules of clean and unclean that the priests had to follow. But for our purposes today, I'm not interested in them, and I'm not sure they apply to our parable at all. Sure, there were laws about being clean and unclean for priests, but the laws also provided for, even required a Jew to bury a neglected corpse, and even more so, to save a life. You will recall in Matthew 12, 11, when, the, when healing on the Sabbath, Jesus reminded the Pharisees of their own laws. If any of you has a sheep and it falls in a pit on a Sabbath, you will not take hold of it and lift it out. So I really think the point here is that the priest and the Levite should have helped. If anyone would have known better, if anyone would know what the law says, it would be these two religious leaders. In our prior exchange, our expert of the law had just explained the essence of all scripture, 
Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor. The first two actors in our story would have known the answer too. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor. Yet what did they do? They passed by on the other side. The priest, he saw him and passed by on the other side. The Levite, he saw him, passed by on the other side. I don't want us to miss Jesus' expert storytelling skills here just because we're so familiar with the story. The opening set, a man, naked, unidentifiable, on the side of the road in need of help. A familiar structure the listeners would quickly recognize. A three-fold story progression. This is a structure they would all know. It was as co in common use in their tales. We have those types of stories in all culture. When a storyline follows a familiar arc and we can anticipate the next turn, you recognize them. An example, once upon a time, they lived happily ever after. You hear it and you go, ah. The audience knows these three, four, how these three-fold stories work. And in this case, the next step is obvious. Priests, Levite, now it'd be logical to expect a Jewish layperson to complete the threefold structure and somehow deliver Jesus' point. But Jesus now springs a surprise. Let's not lose how shocking this was to the audience back then. Jesus jumps from religious, well-trained priest and the Levite to a Samaritan, despised, hated. In John 4.9, in the story of the Samaritan woman, John reminds us, Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Just a few years prior, in 86, the Samaritans had defiled the temple at Passover by scattering human bones through it. But more importantly for our story, the Samaritans were viewed as unschooled in the true ways of God. Others, outsiders, they didn't worship at the right temple. They disputed some of the laws. Unlike the, unlike the lawyer we just heard from, the Samaritan would probably not have been able to smoothly answer the earlier question, the love your Lord your God and love your neighbor answer. And yet, Jesus pulls in, at the, in a Samaritan to make his point. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses you may have. What a contrast to the priest and Levite. Like the first two, the Samaritan saw the man. But then, rather than passing by on the other side of the road, he took pity on him, went to him, bandaged his wounds, poured on oil and wine, put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And if that isn't enough, the next day he arranges for the man to have continued care, giving the innkeeper approximately enough money to cover two to four weeks of lodging, with a promise to cover more if necessary. The Samaritan took pity on him. He had mercy on him. All along, Jesus has been setting up a question for the lawyer, and now he asks it. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? 
The expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Notice the difference in Jesus' question from the question the man originally asked. The man asked, who is my neighbor? Jesus asked, which of these was a neighbor? The entire focus has changed. The story doesn't answer the question, who is my neighbor? The spotlight is not on the crowds around us, pointing out who is and isn't within the circle I need to love. No, the spotlight is on us. The question becomes, am I a neighbor? Franz Leinhard puts it succinctly, one cannot define one's neighbors. One can only be a neighbor. You see, Jesus is not interested in putting on boundaries on love. He is the one who taught us, you have heard that it is said, you shall not murder. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Remember the parable we looked at a couple weeks ago? When asked to put a boundary on forgiveness, Jesus told Peter, I tell you, forgive, not seven times, but 70 times seven. Jesus removes boundaries. We are to forgive without limits. We are to love without limits. We are to show compassion and mercy without limits. I'd like to go back to the opening question. Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? How do you read it? I wonder if Jesus' parable was discouraging to the expert of the law. To fulfill the law, to inherit eternal life, I must be a neighbor to everyone, love everyone, even Samaritans, sinners, my enemies, Romans, without limits. I don't think I can do that. And it's true. We can't love God with our whole hearts and love others as ourselves without limits. We cannot do what it takes to inherit eternal life. The only person who has fulfilled the law, Jesus Christ himself, and it is only through the power of Christ in our life that we can love others the way he calls us to love. He is the only way to inherit eternal life. As Jesus himself put it in John 3, the Son of Man must be lifted up, crucified, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. In Acts 16, 30-31, we hear a jailer ask Paul and Silas a very similar question to the one the law expert asked Jesus. Sirs, the jailer asked Paul and Silas, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. There is nothing we can do to inherit eternal life. It can only be received as a gift. If you have never experienced God's love and power personally, I invite you to come pray with the deacons after the service. Open your life to God. Let him give you the power to be a neighbor, to show love and compassion and mercy. 
Jesus' focus in this story is not on religious creed and religious code, but on identity. What is our identity? Are we God's children? If we are God's children, are we loving like him? Are we, in the power of Christ, showing compassion and mercy and love to those in need around us? Are we being a neighbor? I encourage you to take some time in answering this. As I've wrestled with this passage over the last couple of months, I've been challenged. The easy answer is, of course, if I came across a person beaten on the side of the road, I'd stop and help them. I'd whip out my phone and call 911 and then stick around and do what I could to help until the professionals came. Great. But let me push us to truly consider what the life Jesus is calling us to. He is calling us to be a neighbor, to love others and show people compassion and mercy. And he fills us with his power to do that, not in order to justify ourselves, but to show the world his love. So let me ask you, as I'm asking myself, how can I be a neighbor to people in need in my neighborhoods, in the suburbs right around me, in Chicago, around the world? There are people in need around us, refugees, immigrants, poor, and rich, hurting people who need someone to reach out with love and compassion and mercy. Do the choices we make allow us, like the priest and Levite, avoid helping those in need? Have we structured our lives so that we avoid them? Are we so busy doing other things, filling our lives with work and recreation, that we have no time to think about or deal with those in need? No time to be a neighbor and serve those around us. Wendy and I sometimes even ask to ourselves, is the choice to live in Wheaton or Warrenville or somewhere else in rich DuPage County, is living here a decision to live our entire lives on the other side of the road, the safe, clean side of the road? And if the answer isn't that we need to move, what are we doing to ensure we are reaching out and finding and helping those in need even here? How can we structure our lives, make room in our schedules, budget our money, so that we live out our identity as children of God? I think of Ben Olker taking discarded vacuum cleaners, he's taken ours, fixing them up and donating them to World Relief so they can bless a refugee family. I think of Heather Snyder working with public schools as the de facto guardian for the kids of our refugee, one of our refugee families who live near her. Last weekend, I was at a conference in California. Almost 500 Christians in business spent the weekend discussing what it means to run a business with a kingdom perspective. How do we intentionally love our neighbor even through our roles in business? How does it impact the way we manage our business, treat our employees, source our materials, work with customers? I met Ted. He used to be a chief security officer and a vice president at a large corporation in Silicon Valley. In 2010, Haiti had a devastating earthquake, and he went with a church group on a relief trip there and saw the need and was so moved, he actually moved his family there and lived there. And he started working with relief agencies. But he got frustrated with the charity model that he saw at work there. 
So three years ago, he started a business. And he's training people to do software development so that they can have lives and jobs and feed their family with respect and dignity. He could have a high-powered job in Silicon Valley, but he's opted to go and love his neighbor, using his business skills to show Christ's love in a tangible way, showing love and compassion and mercy. There are ways to get involved, but it may require being more intentional than just responding to the need on the side of the road. There are organizations around that can use your services and help you show love. Warrenville Youth and Family Services, DuPage Pads, NAMI of DuPage, World Relief, and many others. We cannot respond to this parable passively. We are called to love one another without classifications, without boundaries, without limits. Which of the three was a neighbor? The one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. What are we doing? What am I doing? As a church, as a body, as individuals. How are we showing love and compassion to those around us? How are we letting God's love mark our identity so much it moves us to love those around us? Everyone, unlimited. Isaiah 58, 5-9 reads, No, this is the kind of fasting I want. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free. And remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry. And give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them. And do not hide from relatives who need your help. Then your salvation will come like the dawn, and your wounds will quickly heal. Your godliness will lead you forward, and the glory of the Lord will protect you from behind. Then when you call, the Lord will answer, Yes, I am here. He will quickly reply. God doesn't want head, religious head knowledge and creeds. He wants us to live lives that are transformed and loving others. I'd like to close with 1 John 4, 7-12. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Go and be a neighbor. Amen.